Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. These are the audio versions of the sermons preached each Sunday. I hope you enjoy. So our first scripture lesson this morning is going to come from Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 through 21. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with the power through his Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with, the full, with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And our second scripture reading comes from the cha- uh, Gospel of John, the sixth chapter, verses 1 through 15. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. And when he looked up, he saw a large crowd coming toward him. And Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. And then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled 12 baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So attendance is a little low this morning, as happens, if you haven't noticed, it happens on the fifth Sunday of the month, and it happens when the associates preach. I happen to get double whammy this week. So, but that's okay, 
because I rest in the knowledge that Alex is preaching at Elk Grove Presbyterian Church, where he's only expecting 20 in worship. So I give thanks to God for all of you. <laughs> the crowds had been growing steadily since the wedding in Cana. After he spoke to the Samaritan woman at the well, even the Samaritans wondered who he was, what he was doing. There was also that incident where the royal official came to him, stopped him on the road, and asked him to heal his son in Capernaum. Back in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, there was the sick man by the pool. The people following Jesus kept getting more and more, and yet Jesus knew they just didn't understand him. They didn't get him at all. He had told them over and over and over again that these signs, these wonders, these miracles that he did were not about him, but were about God. Yet still, the crowds grew, demanding more and more of him. Everyone was focused on the signs when Jesus wanted them to focus on the generosity and overwhelming love of God. In an attempt to be alone for a little while, he had gone over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. The crowds kept following him. He walked up to the mountain and sat down with his disciples, and he pointed down to the crowd. Look at all of them. How are we going to feed them? John tells us that Jesus knew the answer to the question. This was just a test for the disciples. We are never told what Jesus had in mind, only that he did have something in mind. Andrew suggests that there is a boy with five barley loaves and two fish, and Jesus tells the disciples to tell the people to sit down. 5,000 people, five barley loaves, two fish. You do the math. Imagine Jesus telling our congregation that we're expecting a crowd of 5,000. We're going to host 5,000 people here. The trustees, oh my gosh, the trustees would be very worried about the cost, about the condition of the building after the 5,000 were here. They would be worried about the utilities. How are we going to provide air conditioning, lights, toilets that still flush for 5,000 people? And then, of course, there would be the Congregational Life Committee. Well, that's not in our budget. How are we going to pay for it? And the Mission Committee, well, it's a good idea, but again, not in our budget. Not what we were planning to do for mission this year. And then, of course, the crowd definitely couldn't be held down into the fellowship hall. It would naturally end up in the parlor and lobby area. Oh, my gosh. Strangers in the parlor. <laughs> Five loaves and two fishes. More than six months' salary. Where will they park? How will we feed them? These are valid concerns. We're responsible people trying to be responsible stewards of the resources we have. We can't just willy-nilly host 5,000 people. We're used to managing the size of our crowds. 
We're used to establishing a workable plan, months in committees that we can then present and we'll have all the funding and all the questions answered. We are not, we are definitely not expecting to be asked to participate in the signs and wonders of a God of abundance. But maybe we can be a little more open in our ministry, a little more willing to think about what this God of abundance and power is asking of us. Jesus doesn't need our answers on how to handle a crowd of 5,000. He just needs our help. God needs us to be the willing conduits of God's incredible power and love, a power and love that knows no limits. The crowd is seated. Jesus takes the loaves, gives thanks, passes it out to the crowd, and from what we're told, everybody is fed, and there are 12 baskets of leftovers. Imagine that. 12 baskets left over when the crowd exceeds all expectations. Now, some people like to explain this story by saying that once the young boy took out his five loaves and two fishes, other people probably gave over what they had for their lunch, and that's how come everybody got fed, and that's how come there were leftovers, sort of like a potluck supper at church. Everybody brings a little bit, and then there's plenty. Others view it as a miracle. After all, Jesus was healing the blind and making the lame walk, so why not multiply some loaves and fishes and feed 5,000? Poof, magic, all done. But then we find ourselves in the position of having to ask, do miracles happen today? Could a crowd of 5,000 be fed here today if they showed up? Jesus kept telling the disciples and the others following him that the signs, that's what John calls the miracles, the signs were simply a way to point to the power and generosity of God. In John's gospel, we are told that God is a God of amazing abundance, of unconditional love, of endless resources, and so Jesus' signs are really to tell us about this God of endless resources and power. However, we have to be careful not to think about the power in the way the world thinks about it. You notice that verse 15, almost an afterthought, but it says Jesus found out they were going to come and take him to be king, and so he went away. He does not want to be part of the world's power. Not the structure, not the hierarchy, not anything. He simply wants us to understand how powerful and amazing God is. And God's power is different. It's relational power. It's passionate power. God's power is about facing overwhelming need and finding a way to meet that need. God's power teaches us that not enough 
can never be the final answer. When placed in the hands of God, our weakness, our limited abilities and resources can still be more than enough. So I want you to consider with me a modern-day sign that we all witnessed just a few weeks ago, the saving of the 12 boys and their soccer coach from Thailand. First, they couldn't even find the boys. Nine days to find these boys. And then when they found them all alive, in some ways the sense of despair became even greater because we didn't know where or how we were going to be able to get to them. How are we going to get these boys out of the cave? How could it possibly happen in time? It felt desperate, didn't it? I found myself listening all the time, wondering if they'd made any headway in the progress. The boys huddled in a cave under an aluminum blanket. When they stopped being faceless, boys lost in a cave, it seemed to make the rescue even more important. Now I felt I knew these boys, and I'm guessing all of you felt the same way. We looked in their faces, we recognized them as our own sons or grandsons, and we desperately wanted them to be saved, but we didn't know how that was ever going to happen. So many people working together divers from all around the world, and then the news that a professional diver dies due to lack of oxygen? What hope was there for these boys? Nutritionally compromised, non-swimmers, the world collectively held its breath. They were close, and then they were not so close as more rains threatened, and again, it felt hopeless. There were prayers, our prayers, prayers of the women and the parents in Thailand. Now, unbeknownst to the rest of the world at this time, these boys had a secret weapon. Their 25-year-old coach, Coach Aki, as he is known in his community, had a very difficult childhood. He lost his father at a young age, and his mother died by the time he was 10. He also lost a younger brother. Like many orphan children in Thailand, he moved away from his childhood home in Mai Sai to become a Buddhist monk at a monastery in a nearby province. That way he would be educated, he would be fed and clothed and protected. In his early 20s, he returned to his hometown to rebuild his life as an adult. Now, it was not the coach that led the boys into the cave. The boys went exploring. But when it looked like it was threatening more rain, Coach Aki found the boys in the cave and went in after them. It took nine days to locate those boys. Nine long days. And during those days, Coach Aki taught them all the disciplines he had learned as a Buddhist monk. He taught them how to meditate, 
how to center themselves, how to focus so that they would use less oxygen, how to remain in prayer so that their anxiety would be decreased. And for the first few days, he refused to eat anything and gave the rations to the boys until the boys told him they would no longer eat unless he ate. The prayers and meditation kept their bodies and their spirits alive. And against all odds, they were rescued. Four, eight, and then all 12 boys plus the coach. The world rejoiced and our collectively held breath was let out in a sigh of thanksgiving. It was a sign and wonder. It was a miracle. It was an event in 2018 that points to the amazing power of God who, ne who is never limited by human resources, but who takes all of those resources, multiply them, multiplying them in a way that saves lives. Do we think of it as a miracle? Do we recognize it as a sign that points to the amazing and abundant love of God for his people? Our culture breeds skepticism, and too often we allow the skeptics to get inside our head to explain away the signs and wonders. Too often we miss the extraordinary that is happening right in place of the ordinary. Everything the divers were doing, they were trained to do. The pumps that were put into place were put in by experts. Everything was being done by human ability, or so we tend to think. But I wonder what really kept those boys alive and hopeful. And I wonder what really enabled the skill of the divers the work of the pipe layers, the ditch diggers, the prayers of the mothers and fathers. What really freed those boys from that cave? Too often we forget the real miracles because they're hidden in the ordinary. They are the things that happen when we follow the way of Christ. When we give sacrificially of our time and our resources, when we hope against all odds, when we work together even though nobody else seems to think it's really possible. Consider our own children and leaders. They did get home safely from Peru. Now some might say, oh, travel snafu happens all the time, no big deal. Just rebook them. 37 people just rebook them? It took a little more than just rebooking. Maybe not quite as dramatic as the rescue of the boys from the cave, but no less a sign of God's amazing generosity. The spirit of those youth that Kim and Katie attested to, the willingness of the volunteers all signs of God's power and love in our lives. Signs that we miss 
because we're so used to finding the ordinary and we don't consider the extraordinary. God does not ask us to work alone. God asks us to work with God. And then we will get miraculous results. Ministry is not simply what happens when good people like you and me decide what is reasonable and possible. Ministry is about multiplying our resources so that what might look like a handout to someone becomes an act of grace and generosity. So our PADS program, not a handout, an act of grace and generosity that happens week in and week out on Tuesday nights, October through April. Ministry is what happens in the midst of the most hopeless, desperate, and impossible situations. We have a God of amazing power and abundant generosity. So I encourage you to imagine what a difference we can make together when we intentionally share Jesus' goal of revealing God's power through every act of ministry. Every act of ministry, an opportunity to reveal the abundant power and love of God. How might that change and further strengthen our Wednesday night family night program? What might happen with the decisions our session makes each month? What might change in the deacon's ministry? What about pads and summer suppers? Imagine how God's power and love can become more obvious when we intentionally understand that what we are doing is an extension of Jesus' ministry. It is not about what we deem possible. It is about what God is inviting us to be a part of. Initially, when I was choosing scripture readings for today, I did not choose the Ephesians text because... For those of you with great memories, I preached on that text the first Sunday of May. In fact, I preached a sermon about being rooted and grounded in God's love. Some of you might remember my sweet potato. See, I brought it home, and it really took off. Um, Elijah Lang asked me just the other day, what about your potato sermon, Judy? <laughs> I like that. So my potato sermon. I've pulled the vines off, the sweet potato now, at the root, and then I rooted the vines in water, and then I planted, those are called sweet potato slips. I, I have now planted those in dirt, and I'm waiting to see if I get sweet potatoes. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. This is one thing I know for sure, though. When we are rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. We do amazing things. We learn to give resources back to God instead of holding on to them for ourselves or worrying about a rainy day. We learn more about the expansive nature of God's love. 
we begin to understand that our God can do through us more than we can ever ask or imagine. Like feeding 5,000 and having leftovers. Like rescuing 12 boys in a coach from a flooded cave. Or perhaps establishing just rules for immigration in our country. Or creating in each of us a desire to do things that will promote a cleaner environment. When it is all too easy to be overwhelmed by the breadth and depth of the pain and struggle in our world, it is also too easy to look at the crowd with Philip and say, hey, now Jesus, six months' salary won't even take care of those people. When we are overwhelmed by the height of injustice to those who are most vulnerable, by the depth to which humanity can sink, it is easy to sit with the elders and trustees and committee members of our church and shake our heads and say, that problem is too big for us. We didn't budget for it. We didn't plan on dealing with it. No, thank you. We don't have the money or the resources to take on that kind of ministry. When our world seems lost and we feel lost with it and in it, we can listen for Jesus telling us to sit down. Sit down. We can consider the signs and wonders we have seen in our own lives, in our church, and in our world. We can look at our scant offerings and remind ourselves that with God all things are possible and all resources are eventually unlimited. Through us, others can be fed and clothed and given shelter. Through us, the world can become a better place, a more just place. Through us, by the power of God in us, we can indeed be the light that changes the world. May it be so for you and for me. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.